0: Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz and welcome back to the 10th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 14th, 2022 and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast and I'm excited because looking at the question of where I took us last week with our question of the week, I find it really eerie because I don't always do a great job of always looking ahead and knowing exactly what's coming. It fits so well with where we will be going this week. And the question that we had last week is, are you able to have the faith to see beyond where we can see? To have the faith be able to look beyond where we are, being able to look beyond and have the faith to be able to continue to move forward. It's one of the difficult things at times that it has for us just to be able to be human being able to recognize that we are here for a time and for a space, but being able to recognize and think beyond where we are at. This is a great example of like Einstein on how, why we we're so obsessed with Albert Einstein, that there were so many things that Einstein wasn't able to scientifically show at that point with the instruments that they had. And yet we continue to again and again and again show that what Einstein was thinking, he was able to show. He was able to think beyond the limitations of what he had at that moment and in that time to be able to see where and how things were coming together. And within our own faith life, are we able and willing to do that? And I think that's one of the things that it's a unique human problem. It's something that's within the human condition because we are here for such a short period of time in the scheme of life and how long this world has been going. But it's also as a reminder for us that there will be things that we don't understand in this lifetime and how that's okay. And that's something that we can continue to work on and strive for. And as we will see later this week, There are things that we need to be able to think beyond what we can physically see at this moment to realize how much of an impact it has within our life. But before we get into that, let's just jump into the text this week. The first reading, one of them, can be from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. This is then kind of almost a bit of a love song-esque passage here on how God is having this vineyard and is taking good care of it And yet, as they are in the vineyard, they realize that it's not yielding the grapes they were expecting. They're yielding wild grapes, which are smaller, not as sweet, a little more bitter. And yet, God then is more questioning, like, what has gone on? I prepared the land. I had the watchtowers. I had all these things. And it's that summarizing how we as the people of Israel, there's times where God is literally rolling something out for us. And yet, we're so wary at times to be able to do that and how frustrating that can be for God too to see that here is something that I have created this beautiful garden with walls and everything and yet you didn't prune it you overgrew it you did all these things to make it so it wasn't as fertile as what I was expecting it to be. The psalm ties into that a little bit. The psalm this week for that reading is from Psalm 80, verses 1 and 2, and then 8 through 19. This is reminding us at the beginning right away that we are a flock, we're in this together, but then continues to go through, starting in verse 8, how God continues to prepare the land and has made all these different things on how God makes a way. You brought us out of Egypt and helped us through this period of time. You've continued to provide water. You've continued to make sure that we are taken care of. And yet we love to turn our face from you, recognizing that this is still God who is doing all of this. And so at what point do we recognize this and turn our faces toward God to recognize that we have made a mistake and to ask for forgiveness, to ask for us to be restored in the life giving of what God is, seeing the repentance of what is going on. The other alternative first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 23 through 29. And this is again recognizing the prophet Jeremiah, but how God is still right there in the midst of us around us. And God is not some far off person. it's God is still here and amongst us. And as we know, being on this side of the cross, the Holy Spirit is stirring and moving around us. This God who is ever-present, not far off, and continues to fulfill the promises and not just be this fallacy as in ancestors of old believing in Baal, but recognizing how this is a God who is right here and now. And yet, we act as if god is much further away the psalm that goes with this then is psalm 82 all eight verses this then is recognizing again along that same theme of we are nothing and that it's god who is doing all this work and it's recognizing in that are we willing to humble ourselves to realize that we are children of the most high god and to not put ourselves ahead of God. Also, in that same breath, being able to recognize in the times where we are struggling that we are still being carried, walked, having our hand held, provided for in some form or fashion as we are going through these difficult times. The second reading or New Testament reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29 to chapter 12, verse 2. This text is also helping us, I feel like, remember all these different things on how God has continued to be faithful. And this kind of builds upon what we heard this last Sunday, that here we have the people crossing the Red Sea. We've had making sure that the mouths of the lions were shut how God had continued to provide for Samuel, this and the Samson story, all these different prophets, how God continued to work through them and help them. And even if they were tortured and what they were doing, they were still trying to move forward in where God was trying to move, recognizing that that was temporary compared to what God was promising was for a lifetime. And that this is not something to be consumed in the human experience in the here and now, but recognizing that we are continuing to move forward and looking forward. And especially when you start getting into chapter 12, starting even here in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for whom the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and taking his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Recognizing again that there is a long list of people who have done it before that we are joining that list and recognizing that we are going for This person who has perfected it and realizing that that's where we're striving for. Something that's much greater than right now. And recognizing that there is pain and suffering that might incur because we are doing that. In certain ways that can be a dangerous text. But we'll get beyond that for this week. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 12 verses 49 to 46. This is some pretty harsh talk that we're hearing from Jesus And it's right to the heart of what's going on. I came here to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. I've been baptized with which to be baptized. And what stress am I under until it's completed? Do you think I come here to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division, being the first three verses out of our gospel text, getting into talking about how you'll even have some inner family frustration that is going on. But yet, this is where I feel like God is getting at here, these last three verses and having Jesus say, he also said to the crowds, when you look at a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time. Jesus having this urgency as he is moving toward Jerusalem at this point, but recognizing how we can only see so far ahead. And so many times we are almost blinded by being not able to recognize what is actually going on. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do Shameless Plugs Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some ideas and different ways to look at these texts, along with having the different commentaries from different biblical scholars throughout multiple years, along with other biblical discussions. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out Vanderbilt's revised common lectionary coming from their divinity library. What's so amazing about that is one, not only how they lay out their text, which I think is beautiful, and I use that on a weekly basis, but also having the art to being able to correlate with us. We are, and so many of us are visual people. So to be able to see these texts come alive through the visions of different people throughout the world, throughout time artistically come through on how they're interpreting these texts can be super, super insightful. So, if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Do we understand how to interpret the earth and sky... To some extent, yes, but yet I think this line in verse 56 speaks so well to what has actually gone on over the last, my lifetime basically, and I'm 30, but also especially what we look at the last few months. And I have to, being that I'm a United States citizen, have to leap across the pond to Europe because I feel like this text right now speaks and hits a little bit differently over there and that let's rewind and let's analyze this and let's talk about this and what scientists have been screaming and continue to be screaming about and yet how slow we are as people we are as civic group people how we are as countries coming together are yet so slow to interpret what is going on in the present time. So if you haven't been keeping up with the news, Europe is in some really dire straits in a lot of ways. And this is not taking into the economy at all. You have a lot of mainland Europe that has been going through a lot of drought, which is bringing on fires to more mainland Europe. But if we jump across the English Channel, the UK has been hitting historic highs that have never been hit before. And I'll attach some of these different News discussions and stuff below. But one of the things that you keep finding is they're hitting 41 degrees centigrade. That's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in England. London, England hit 100 plus degrees. That's the first time in recorded history. And we have to remember that we're over in Europe. So the recorded history goes back multiple hundreds of years. Why is this alarming? Well, on multiple scales. One, unlike the United States, because the infrastructure is so much older, It makes it so there's more likely for heat stroke. It makes it also that there's not very much air conditioning because the buildings are older. They're not designed for this type of heat. And when this type of heat is coming, they're getting it in waves. It's not necessarily just one day, it is multiple days. And when you're having the other stresses of viruses and things that are going on in the world, Outside of a heat wave, it makes it more and more difficult. And the people who have been there, they're not accustomed to this type of heat. England does not get this warm. Why? What then is all going on? And to be able to understand that, we need to understand how climate works in that region of the world. And like many regions of the world, we have to look to the great ocean conveyor, which is the currents of the ocean now when we're looking at how the ocean and water moves within the ocean we have to realize like one tenth of it mostly are influenced by the wind but they also have the influence of the earth's rotation along with the shape of the land that it's around influencing how that water works but we have to remember that nine tenths of the earth's water is controlled by density And how dense that water is. And the ocean has absolutely tremendous strength. Having currents that get up to 10 spur drops in power. Now, to put that into perspective. One spur drop is equal to 1 million cubic meters per second. Which is the equivalent of all the Earth's rivers running together. And that would be their current. So, up to in spots in the ocean, up to 10 times that amount. So, how does this all work? Well, we have to get to some basic chemistry here. So, hang with me. You recognize that when you have warmer water, its molecules are moving faster, so thus it is less dense because they are further apart. So if you have hot water that's going to rise to the top and cold water is going to go to the bottom. Now, when you start thinking about it from the perspective of salt water, you have now added not just H2O, but you've also added NaCl. So, typical table salt. That adds to the density. It's more dense because now you have an additional thing that's within that water. So thus, it can also help when the water is cold, but also if waters are at the same temperature, the water with salt is going to sink. It's going to move down because it is more dense. So we have to remember that then our oceans— and how the circulation of our water, if you want to put it like a circulatory system within our body, happens because of thermohaline circulation, aka heat and saltiness circulation, is how water moves around the whole globe. So, typically, how this all happens, it takes a molecule of water probably about 1,000 years to really be able to circle the whole globe based off of where it can get into a loop for a little while before it gets off into another loop. But on average, they're saying about 100 years. So if we look at like the northern latitudes going up toward the UK, you're having a lot of things that we have to remember about that influence this. So the waters as they are on the surface are going to get colder because of the wind, and especially in the winter. So what that's going to do is that's going to pull off that water through evaporation. And then due to that, it's going to make whatever water is left saltier because the salt gets left behind, causing it to sink. You also then have sea ice Now, that's ice that's formed up in the Atlantic, but that is pure water. There is no salt in that. So whenever there is sea ice that is being formed that is also leaving salt behind. These salty waters then are super cold and super dense. So they sink to the bottom of the sea and are traveling along the bottom until they have where the sun is starting to warm that water and pulls that water slowly as it's warming to the surface and where you could technically see is like it gets into the U.S. Gulf Stream, runs up the East Coast, up into the North Atlantic Coast. Because of this, the wind is pushing it across. It evaporates up. That humidity goes into the atmosphere. And that then is what helps heat Western Europe. So this whole North Atlantic section gets a whole nickname of the Atlantic meridial overturning circulation, aka the AMOC. So this is what then helps heat that whole section of Europe. This is what also helps make England more temperate in the winter. So the typical temperature in London, England in the winter is 5 degrees Celsius or 41 degrees Fahrenheit the equivalent on a roughly the same longitudinal line in North America is Calgary, Alberta, which is then on average negative 11 degrees Celsius or 12 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can see that there's a huge difference between those two. So as this system is running, that's what helps keep this warm. But as we know that Warming temperatures and adding CO2 into the atmosphere and fossil fuels is warming things. One of the big things that climate scientists are concerned about is melting sea ice off of Greenland. And the reason is, is because now you're adding that fresh water in the middle of this circulation that is going. It goes right by Greenland. Now you're adding this less dense water and now you're getting this evaporation because of it's not as dense and it's slowing down the system. Thus is making the idea of there might be a problem where you're slowing down this circulation because there's a clog. It's not running as smooth as it has and they're saying probably this is could be the slowest that it's been running in the last 1000 years. Greenland if it entirely melted would be about the fifth of the earth's rivers in equivalency. So it's fairly substantial. Now, the possibility of the AMOC shutting down is quite low technically but it is possible. And if it would happen, it would totally change weather patterns all around the world, causing where there's now drought in different areas, such as like sub-Saharan Africa, that there's this rain belt that suddenly now would be drying out because it's not getting the same type of weather patterns that are happening. And it's not unheard of. Climate scientists looking at things figure about 12,000 years ago that this probably shut down, causing a mini ice age for about a millennium that this happened. So all this going on, they're seeing because of the melt in Greenland, this whole area called the North Atlantic cold blob when you're looking at global heat maps over the decades. And that's where, again, they're figuring out that this whole system is slowing down. This has also caused problems where you have the Azoics high pressure system, which is on the Maldives area, which is off of Portugal, that there's this high pressure system that every winter seems to be getting bigger that is then sitting out there and it's blocking rain from getting into southern Europe. And then it's also causing the northern Europe up into like Sweden, Norway to be wetter winters. And this is now contributing to what is going on in the summers because now because it's dry in mainland Europe, you get the winds out of the south and there's nothing to slow these down. They're hot, they're dry, and you're adding to already hot and dry land just drying it out more and pushing that heat further and further north. And as we have continued this and as you look through these different articles, be it the mayor of London or multiple other different scientists, they are all saying, this is all stuff that we were telling you about 20 years ago that we need to make adjustments and now the results of the lack of action of what we did this is going to become common in England and this is something that we're probably the actions that we're doing now is going to be probably more impacting things via about 2050 and so thus we probably are going to see things get worse before they get better. And so we might as well start working now so that it makes it easier to work on later. Does this not sound like what Jesus is kind of frustrated with? We have all this information that we're learning how all these systems work. We're understanding that Europe is this great anomaly when you're looking at longitudinally because of this current. And we're understanding that we're doing things that are changing the climate. We're recognizing that temperatures are going up. We're recognizing that all this stuff is happening. And yet we're not, how much are we actually doing? We see the clouds forming and you're like, oh yeah, it's going to rain. We have the projections to be able to say it's going to be hot and to warn people that it's going to be hot, but yet we don't understand the underlying cause of what is going on. How different is this than the people of Israel or Christians throughout time who have been questioning the faith at different points, and yet God then has to continue to come back through the prophets, through these different people, saying, Do you not remember when I have provided for you here? Do you not remember that I have provided for you here? Do you not remember that I have provided for you here? At what point are you going to learn that I will continue to provide as long as you follow? We have been called in Genesis to take care of this place. We are now understanding this place more and more, but yet we can't understand that the impacts of what we are doing is not actually taking care of the place, and it's making it harder and harder for us to live. At what point do we recognize that and say, then we need to do something about it? I can understand and see in this text and think about this from this perspective as we're looking at a global climate crisis, and yet how many of us, myself included, don't take it seriously enough? We don't consume it that way. We don't recognize how to be able to interpret the present time and what it's actually saying. Jesus at this point is heading toward Jerusalem, telling them there's only a little bit of time left before I am going to go on trial. And I'm here for a short period of time to help you understand the character of who God is. Do you not understand this? And they don't. Because they're focused on the here and now, not an understanding that we have to continue to have the vision to be able to look forward. It gets into the question that we had last week, having the faith to be able to look forward. We have the understanding of what is coming forward. Do we have the faith to make the changes to move forward? This is what is throughout scripture, all over is these reminders of us failing. These reminders of us not being able to understand what is actually going on, how God is actually trying to provide, and us messing things up worse. And in this case, we have the evidence and the isolation of data, scientists more and more being able to say, we are the cause of this. It's our influence on what is going on in the world. It's our release of fossil fuels and different things of that nature that is contributing to this climate crisis. And yet, it's like the prophet screaming out to the people and yet they still don't understand why has God left us. God hasn't left you. It's that you've turned your back to what God is saying. We have a difficult time of getting out of our own way. We have a difficult time not being able to recognize what is actually going on. We have a difficult time only being able to see right in front of us right now. As a younger person still, I hope as a church and as a world, we can start looking beyond a five-year window. It's been something we've talked about multiple times. At what point can we look beyond my lifetime and start recognizing that? There's a lot of Native American tradition where I'm at where you talk about you don't think about the impact it has on this generation or the next generation. You think about its impact seven generations ahead of you.